Good day to you ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Film Focus, episode 51, the double review for Ready Player One and Pacific Rim Uprising. And welcome to another episode of Film Focus. I am your host, Iverson55, and I'm glad that you decided to join me once again for some film-related discussion. So how are you doing today? Good? Bad? and different? I'm alright. I'm looking outside right now, and it is a strangely sunny day. You know, clear skies, a lot of sun, and while it's not too hot outside, it's definitely one of those sort of days where I can tell that the UK public are just going to be like, yo, I'm just going to wear less and act like I'm on the beach, even though it is... Still pretty breezy outside, but yeah, it's a nice looking day and I'm thankful for that. And I'm also thankful I'm not at work. But anyway, we're not here to talk about the bloody weather, we're here to talk about films! So yeah, um, as you heard from the you know opening of the episode, this is going to be a double review. And this is the first double review I've done for the podcast since March of 2017 when I reviewed both Power Rangers and Ghost in the Shell. Now, here's the thing, there's been a good few times where I said I was going to do, you know, film doubles, but just timing, man. Um, timing became an issue, or certain films that I didn't think I'd have enough to say about, I ended up having to, you know, more to say about them, so then they ended up being, you know, full-on episodes. And originally, the first double review for this year was actually going to be Pacific Rim Uprising and Isle of Dogs, but because of some scheduling issues and the fact that Isle of Dogs came out on my birthday and I had a whole lot of things planned for that day, everything fell through! But after watching Ready Player One recently and Pacific Rim Uprising, I felt compelled to go about and do reviews for those so those will be the primary reviews that i'm going to be doing in today's episode that being said i briefly wanted to touch upon two other films that i feel i need to talk about on this podcast so i'll time code it but yeah i'm basically going to briefly touch upon my thoughts about annihilation and isle of dogs so annihilation the latest film from alex garland that got a uh, you know Releasing the cinemas over in America, but not over here in the UK, which sucks because I would have liked to have seen this film in the cinema, but at the same time, I'm not sure I would have been able to handle it. Because that film was some kind of trip. I mean, it was engaging, interesting, surprising, uh, all sorts of what the hell is going on, but in that sort of incredibly engaging way. The film is very strange, disturbing, and fascinating. Fascinating is the main word I take away from Annihilation. It's one of the sort of films that after you've seen it, you question so many things. You have so many questions, and I feel like you're just going to end up watching the film again and again, picking up extra pieces of information, but, oh man, I watched that with my mum, and we were both like, you know, is it... I think we were satisfied. I mean, I knew I was, but we had questions. Uh... (laughs) The cast were really good, Natalie Portman was great, and Tessa Thompson, I really liked her, and Jennifer Jason Lee, I also liked her as well. There was just some really fantastic visuals, some really good stuff with the soundtrack happening, and just some really disturbing, what the hell, moments. There is one moment in particular that scared the living daylights out of me, and reminded me of a moment from Full Metal Alchemist. If you guys have seen that anime, like, you know, whether it's, I think, the original 
and Brotherhood, you know exactly which episode I'm talking about very early on in the series. Ooh, creepy. But yeah, Annihilation, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Definitely one of the best films that's come out in 2018 so far. And Isle of Dogs. If you know me, which most of you probably don't, but anyway, if you know me, then you know that I'm a massive fan of Wes Anderson. I have not seen all of his films yet, but pretty much the majority of the films that I've seen of his so far have just filled me with endless amounts of joy, confusion, and just delight. His films have a strange quirkiness to them, which is just oddly engaging, funny, and wonderful. Um, the first film I saw of his was Fantastic Mr. Fox, and um, from there I ended up seeing like you know um, Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest Hotel, and Rushmore. And all of those films I love in just varying levels of amazingness. And Fantastic Mr. Fox I rewatched for the first time in um, just over eight years, and it still holds up incredibly well. I'd argue it's actually better than it was when I first saw it back in 2009. So with Isle of Dogs, I was really hyped to see it because, oh yeah, Wes Anderson, he's returning to stop-motion animation, the voice cast looked insane, and with the story taking place in Japan, a place I really want to look yeah, I'm looking forward to going to it at some point, and I'm, you know, I'm interested in the culture and all that sort of stuff. I was really interested to see how he, you know, was it, bring this story to life. And here's the thing about Isle of Dogs. I really liked it, but it wasn't as engaging as I'd hoped. The story was pretty interesting for the most part, and there was definitely certain moments where there was drama and emotion and, like, you know, good amounts of humor and levity, which engaged me. And there was some heartwarming moments but just overall I think the general gist of the story that you get in a trailer is summed up I think within the first 40 minutes to an hour and then what happens afterwards just doesn't feel as engaging as like you know uh, Wes Anderson's previous films even though it has all of his trademark elements in terms of the pacing some of the timing of the humor and like uh, just some of that other sort of stuff it works um, but after all the hype I'd heard about the film I thought it was incredibly unlikely that I wouldn't love this film but in the end I just didn't love it um, and it feels bad to say because every film that I've seen from him so far has been really good and I'm not gonna like say that oh yeah this film is not one that you shouldn't see in the cinema you should just know that some people have really liked this film and some people like me thought it was good but just not as good as some of his previous material but the visual material is incredible it has that same style from Fantastic Mr. Fox with very interesting uses of animation with like you know it's almost choppy kind of animation in terms of like the missing frames in between the movement but it has a very unique style it's very stylish the set design and you know the models look so detailed and rich and beautiful the animation is great the use of music is pretty solid and the voice cast is cool i just had a lot of fun just trying to figure out who was who and yeah just the story is presented in an interesting way I guess my only main issues with the story was like the way in which the dialogue was presented and the pacing, which was never an issue for me in some of uh, you know the other films I've seen in Wes Anderson's like you know filmography. But this is the first one where I actually felt it dragging a little bit. So yeah, take those in mind. You'll probably end up loving the film like the majority of other people, but I thought it was good, just not as good as I had hoped. All right, so with all that out of the way, it's time to get into these big old chunky reviews now I say chunky they're not actually going to be that big because obviously I'm reviewing two films so unlike some of the other films I've reviewed this year I have less to say about Ready Player One and Pacific Rim Uprising you know to fill out a whole episode that being said I could squash them both in the one episode and you know as the saying goes you know kill two birds with one stone so 
We're going to start with Ready Player One first, just because that's the film I really want to sink my teeth into, and then we'll get into Pacific Rim Uprising. And bear in mind that these reviews will be a little less structured than the other reviews that I've done, um, especially when it comes to Pacific Rim Uprising. But yeah, just stick with it and you should be fine. So yeah, without further ado, let's, let's do it. Alright, so now it's time to talk about Ready Player One, a film that I had been looking forward to watching for such a long time prior to its release. So, back when I used to watch Collider Movie Talk, I remember the announcement that this film was going to be made, and then hearing that it was Steven Spielberg, one of the greatest directors of all time, that was going to be tackling the project. And, you know, at the time I was like, what is this Ready Player One? I'd never heard of this book before, but apparently a lot of people like it, and a lot of people hype to see what Spielberg would do with it. And I was like, okay, cool, I'm down with that. So obviously, you know, certain announcements came around with the cast and crew, and then eventually we got that first trailer, and I was like, this looks like fun. And I think the second trailer enticed me even more. The concept of this film just looked insane with a future where everybody just hangs around in this virtual world it can be anything from anywhere in time and just looking at all those references good gravy that's what really grabbed me that and the music which I think in the second trailer had the song Jump by Van Halen which is actually one of my favorite childhood songs so the, the trailer had me it had me at the first one but then the second one really just grabbed me even more I was just like this film I only have a mild understanding of what it's all about, but just seeing all those references in there just reminded me of how I felt when I went to see Wreck-It Ralph for the first time with all the video game references, but this had everything, you know, from comics, movies, and games, and it was all, like, you know, it was interwoven in all these different moments, you know, during some of these crazy, like, you know, racing sequences, war sequences, or just characters walking around in these uh, different environments. I was like, oh, my gosh, I was hyped as heck. So I ended up seeing the film literally I think the other day and yo, I liked it. I liked it a lot. It wasn't a perfect film but my gosh did it make me smile. So I'm going to be talking about the story, characters and overall presentation and then give my summary at the end. So without further ado, let's jump into it. So the plot for this film can be described as the following. The film is set in the year 1945 where much of humanity is escaping the you know, desolate real world, and uses this virtual reality software known as Oasis to engage in work and play. And one boy by the name of Wade Watts discovers clues to a hidden game within the program that promises the player full ownership of the Oasis, and he joins several allies to complete the game before a dangerous company run by a guy by the name of Nolan Sorrento can do the same. And that is the summary of the film without going into the area of spoilers. Now what I liked about this film was the concept of the Oasis and the people that were behind it, learning about how the Oasis came to be, how much it is engulfed with the lives of everybody involved, and also just the amount of people that go out of their way to pursue this quest to find the hidden easter eggs to take ownership of the oasis there was just some really cool and interesting stuff especially once you start to learn more about the main guy behind it and some of the troubles and interesting things that happened in his life that led him to do certain things that he did or how his you know history influenced the easter eggs that the main characters end up finding as the game goes on I also just like learning about how the world ended up in the state in which it was and how 
you know, just in general, this film sort of speaks to our nature as humans, you know, to just like escapism, you know, jumping into a virtual world where everything is just fine and, you know, just escaping the tedious, dangerous or just unlikable elements of real life. The Oasis concept just feels like an extension of what's happening in the real world right now, just to a much darker and kind of sadder degree. Just thinking about the concept of the Earth just going to pants, so everyone just says, you know what, screw it, let's just live in virtual reality. It's not real, but it feels nice. So I think that the film had some interesting things to say about technology and, you know, was it virtual reality and some of these things that could potentially be an eventuality for us. But beyond that, I thought the film had a simple yet interesting premise that got more and more interesting as the film went along. There's certain elements of mystery, intrigue, drama, and some really nice humor as well sprinkled in throughout. And while this film definitely has certain plot beats that you can you know, see coming a mile away, and some of the film definitely doesn't feel as original as it could be, and obviously I've never read the book so I don't know how much of the film was completely adapted from the source material or was changed for film, I could still say that overall I still enjoyed myself in the film. Sure there's a good few points where I'm just like, oh, I guess this is going to happen, and it does, but... I was just satisfied. I was having a lot of fun, especially when it comes to all the references. The visual side of things I'll get to in the presentation side of things later on, but just from the amount of word drops that were in the film in relation to, you know, certain films and TV shows and games and stuff like that, it was sprinkled all over in such a magical and wonderful way where for me as a person who loves his video games and films there was just so many things that i could hear i'm just like as oh, a reference to that that's that that's that that's that and i'm like oh i enjoyed the story uh, a heck of a lot despite its flaws so when it comes to the cast i thought they were all solid in their roles though some people definitely stand out more so than others ty sheridan as wade watts aka percival was actually pretty cool i liked him he is you know your standard sort of protagonist in the sense that he is smart very well versed in the stuff that he knows especially when it comes to pop culture references though he's not that great at what he does he's prone to making certain mistakes and you know sometimes it takes him a little longer than you know some other people just to you know click and get certain things done but he has a heart of gold and he wants to do what's right and he does have to learn a few lessons about like you know was it uh life and taking things a little bit more seriously but I thought Sheridan was good in the role um this is probably my favorite film I've seen him in so far I've only seen him in a handful of things but he was you know solid in this role but Olivia Cook as Artemis and Sam she was great I thought she was just just delightful when you're first introduced to her character she was you know so cool mysterious and just a total badass and then when you find out more about her afterwards you realize that there is a little bit more to her that she has you know a few extra layers and you know she's a lot more cautious and closed off than you know Wade is those two have an interesting relationship that develops over the course of the film and Cook who you know obviously came from I first saw her in Ouija which everyone said it was a terrible film and I thought it was okay but she definitely shone brighter in me and Earl and the Dying Girl that's where I really fell in love with her like you know as, as an actress and she's definitely like you know got that screen presence and charm that translates into this film she was just delightful and I found her a more compelling character than like you know was it Wade was in this film also Ben Mendelsohn as Nolan Sorrento the head of IOI you know the 
big evil corporation that wants to take over the Oasis. He was essentially the bad guy in this film, and he played that role just damn well. If you saw him in Rogue One, you have a pretty good idea of what he's going to bring to this film. In this role, he's a little bit more uh, charismatic and cocky, and he smiles a little bit more this time around. But there are so many moments where he just has this... It's hard to describe. It's, a, it's like the Mendelssohn scowl, and he just looks so... Is a combination of pissed off, bored, and just unsatisfied with life, especially when he's using the virtual reality hardware to go in and out of like the hardware. He's always just got this weird scowl on his face that's just. <laughs> it's almost. He makes you want to laugh, but at the same time, it's just, you know, it's just part of his face, and I just found that pretty interesting. <laughs> Another person I really liked in this film was Lena Waithe. At least I hope that's how you're saying her name. I've never had to say her name loud before. As um, H. Her avatar and her in person was just delightful. Such a cool, down-to-earth, awesome person who has a really great connection with Wade throughout the film. Those guys have, like, you know, it's just a nice, like, you know, pairing. And as the film progresses, you learn more about this person and their avatar. It's just great. She had so many of the best moments throughout the entire film. And I've only mainly seen her in Master of None. And she was one of my favorite people in that entire show. Um, so it was great to see her in a live action film. When I saw her, I was like, oh my gosh, this is my girl from Master of None. I was so hyped. So yeah, that made me very happy. Also, TJ Miller as IROC, at least I hope that's how you say his name. It's spelled I-R-0-K. But yeah, he's like this freelance weapons and magics dealer. And he's a bounty hunter as well. And he's just really cool. He kind of reminds me of that sort of butch heavy metal kind of character that Jack Black played from that video game from I think was it the late 2000s I can't remember what it is for the life of me but if you took that character and made him into I don't know a more fantasy darkish kind of character that existed in maybe Warcraft or Warhammer or something like that that's what he kind of looks like with a hood he was really funny and you know dark and creepy but really cool at the same time he had some really memorable moments in the film I also really like uh, Simon Pegg as uh, Ogden Morrow and Mark Rylance as well as James Halliday, the main guy who created the Oasis. He had some really strong moments in this film. His character had a very strange personality, but it also made him quite engaging as well, especially as the film continued. And there was also a good few other people in the film that had cool moments of shine, but you know, was it the main people I mentioned above were the people that really stuck with me. Alright, now it's time to talk about that presentation and good gravy. This film was just so much fun. In terms of the visual material, I forget when Steven Spielberg commits to showing off, you know, spectacle in his films. There are not many people that can do it quite like he can. The uh, presentation during that crazy race sequence or the main battle towards the end of the film or some of these other sort of action sequences require like a lot of spectacle, scale, destruction and a whole load of, you know, chaos happening on screen, whether it's, you know, was it via vehicles, destruction of debris or, you know, different characters of all shapes and sizes, you know, punching, kicking, smashing, shooting, explosions. It's all done in such a wonderful way, and the CGI for the most part is very clean. This film definitely has a very, you know, expensive budget attached to it. And at times it definitely does look like, you know, just a very, 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 very expensive video game. But then there are other times where it definitely looks like it belongs in, you know, is it film-related territory. And obviously because it's 
because of the oasis and the way in which it's constructed, I guess it's meant to look like a video game. So I don't know if the level of detail in the film may put people off just because it looks so much like, you know, a very high quality video game. But I thought the film just looked great. The character models for the majority of everybody looked really good. Um, there was some nice lighting. Again, the sense of scale during some of these, like, you know, it's action sequences was so good. And the visual references, oh, <laughs> as a nerd of video games and films, like I said before, some of this stuff just made me so giddy. And while a lot of the stuff in this film is definitely from, like, you know, was it a time where I wasn't alive, there was plenty of stuff from, like, uh, you know, the 90s to, you know, now that I saw that I was just like, oh my gosh, there's this reference from this film or that video game, and it's all over the place. Some of it's so subtle. Some of it is, you know, was it um, audio-based as well? Um, but when you see it, uh, there's just so much stuff. And in the final, you know, battle of the film, there is just so many beautiful moments. And there is one reference to one film specifically that I did not expect there to be so much of. But when you see it, I was like, wow, this is really cool. Um, and yes, I mean, if you're not really into, like, you know, sporting references, this may not, like, you know, resonate with you as much as it did for, you know, people who are really big fans of pop culture, but for me, this was just, oh, this was heaven. <laughs> it was like, you know, was it, uh, all the references from Wreck-It Ralph, but on crack, everything was everywhere, and I was just like, whoo, <laughs> I was having a good time. And the... Music choices in the film were also solid. Um, obviously, the Van Halen song from the trailers was in the film as well, and that was utilized very well. And there were some other songs in the film that were sprinkled throughout, which was good. But the film score, oh my gosh, it was delicious. I was so happy. Listening to the music, I'm like, this has such an epic feel. It's so triumphant in your face and highlights everything that's happening. You know, it, it basically enhances everything that's happening on screen while it's going on. During some of the action sequences or some of the more softer moments or when it's making certain, you know, references to other films, it was done in such a great way. And I was really trying to peg who it was because I was like, this seems a little too extravagant for John Williams. Not to say that he couldn't pull off something like this, but I was just like, you know, his music of recent years has been a lot more subdued so i was thinking it was like this feels like it's alan silvestri it feels like it has that sort of classic sound that he was able to create in you know films like back to the future or maybe predator or the second mummy film as well you know was it where it just has that sort of epic triumphant kind of feel but then i was thinking it could be michael giacchino as well but i'm thinking I know what that guy's music sounds like, and this is close, but not quite there. So I was thinking, I pegged my bets on Sylvestri, and I was glad that I saw his name in the credits afterwards, because I was so giddy. This is easily Sylvestri's best work since The Avengers, but I think it's on another level for me. His music was just one of the most memorable elements of the film. It just had such an impactful presence throughout the film. It was just, oh, it made me so happy. I was so giddy. That music was great! Okay, so enough gushing about the presentation and the audio and everything else. Overall, I think Ready Player One was a lot of fun. And while it may not go down as a classic, I think it's the most fun I've had with a Spielberg film for years. And if you are a fan of pop culture references, especially films and video games, I implore you to give it a watch. You'll have a damn good time.
So now let's talk about Pacific Rim Uprising. Now, the first Pacific Rim came out in 2013, directed by the wonderful Guillermo del Toro. And I thought that film looked really good from the outset. And when I ended up watching it, I thought for the most part, the visual material for it was fantastic. And just seeing a sort of Japanese inspired, like, you know, monster film, you know, made in the West was a lot of fun. And I thought that the world and the mythology that they created, you know, the lore for the Jaegers and the Kaiju and the whole brain compatibility thing on Bobby, that was pretty cool. And again, the visuals were fap. The sense of scale, destruction, and designs of the monsters and the robots was so cool. The only issue that I had with the first Pacific Rim was that the story overall just wasn't that compelling. The characters were fairly one-dimensional and the only interesting person really was Idris Elba and that was mainly because Idris Elba has such a commanding presence and just a likeable screen presence in general that he sort of elevated the character into something more wonderful than what the film was presenting. Plus we'd all heard that speech he'd given, at least an abbreviated version in the trailer, like how many times? So that really stuck in your mind so when it did come in the film it still was effective but everyone was you know ready for it. So anyway, when I heard that there was eventually going to be a Pacific Rim 2, I was like, ugh. I mean, the first film was pretty good, and I would have been interested to see, you know, more stuff in this universe, but I wasn't gripping my teeth just like, oh man, I really need that Pacific Rim number 2, oh my god, oh. I didn't need it, you know? There was a lot of other sequels that I could have watched before Pacific Rim number 2 came around, and when Del Toro left the project, you know, in terms of directing, I was like, oh, dangerous. But then when it was Stephen S. Knight who was announced to, you know, make his feature debut as a director in film, I was like, oh, okay, he's that guy that worked on Buffy and Daredevil. I like this guy. He could actually bring something cool to this film, especially in terms of the character material, because that's one of his strong writing elements, in my opinion. And then obviously once John Boyega, like, you know, joined the project, I was like, okay, I'm interested. But then the trailers came out, and I was just like, ugh. This doesn't look very good at all. Somehow the CGI just looked more cartoony. The designs of some of the robots looked a little meh. And maybe it's just because I'm missing the nighttime, like, you know, is it aesthetic? But, you know, seeing the kaiju and monsters fight in daylight? N no. Everything about the trailers, number one and number two, is just like, oh, the crappy music. Oh, it made the film look so pants. And I was ready to take a big old dump on this film because it looked awful. And then when the first set of reviews came out, most people were saying it was pretty crappy too. So I'm just like, well, I don't feel compelled to watch this right now. But then the curiosity just ate away at me, especially after I heard that there was a good few people that did like the film, said it was some dumb, interesting fun. Some people said it was even better than the first film. I'm like, what kind of crack are these people smoking? So now I need to go back and check it out for myself. So... I've seen the film, and you know what? It wasn't that bad. But at the same time, it wasn't that good either. So, as per usual, I'm just going to go about and talk about the story, characters, presentation, and my overall thoughts on the film. So, without further ado, let's jump in. So the story for Pacific Rim Uprising takes place about 10 years after the original. The war was won against the Kaiju long ago, so now everybody's basically rebuilding and, you know, was it getting on with their lives. Some places have been able to rebuild and, you know, was it get back to normal, while some other places sort of just live in the ruins of the destruction of the war from before. 
But when a new kaiju threat comes along and threatens the world, it is up to Jake Pentecost, son of Stacker Pentecost from the first film, along with his new partner, Amara, and a whole load of new recruits to go about and get into their new Jaegers and take on this new threat and save the world. And that is the general gist of the plot without going into the area spoilers. Now, what I do like about this new story is that it takes the foundation of what happened in the first film and builds upon it in a few interesting ways. We learn a few new things about this world in terms of how it still continues to go about and you know build new Jaegers and have these new sort of programs involved in case a new threat arrives. So it's nice to know that this world has continued to go about and like you know build the fences just in case of emergency. And we also learn a few new things about like, you know, the kaiju and how they work and how they are tied to this like larger universe. There's some interesting twists and turns here and there. And I do like how this film is a little less serious than the previous one. And the film also smartly finds a way to abbreviate the history of the first film in the opening few minutes. So Technically speaking, you can go into Pacific Rim Uprising not having seen the original because it summarizes the events with just enough information for you to, you know, go into the sequel with the bare essentials of what you need to know in order to understand this world, its characters, and how it all operates. Sure, there's a great number of details that are omitted or, like, you know, just abbreviated, so watching the first film definitely helps with the connective tissue between both films, but yeah. I did appreciate how much information was covered in the introduction just to get those who hadn't seen the original up to speed. That being said, for all the decent elements of the story, a lot of it is just nonsense. And I know, these films were never meant to be taken super seriously. But that being said, when you establish certain rules or you're trying to go for at least some sort of depth or drama, you're going to have to sell me on that, and this film didn't. There's certain dramatic moments that happen involving maybe like, okay, here's a good example. There's a death in the film which you're meant to feel really sad about, but it comes across as just generic and just forced just so one of the characters can, you know, get their act together and then start like, you know, is it taking things a little bit more seriously? And, you know, there's just, there are stakes in this film. But again, they feel like they were, you know, made just for the sake of trying to entice the audience. And it just doesn't work nearly as well as it could have. Better writing could have saved this film. And speaking of the writing, uh, some of the dialogue is just so cheesy and silly. And the jokes, some of them come at the worst possible time. I think it's meant to add a little bit of levity to certain situations. But the timing of some of these, like, you know, verbal jokes or physical bits of humor, it just it's just not not good um and there is one reveal in the film that completely just ugh. okay it's one of the sort of things where that reveal sort of reveals the rest of the plot for the film you know the sort of true events of what's happening and i was alluded to it by like you know is it certain podcasts and reviews and friends that had talked to me about it beforehand and it wasn't nearly as bad as I expected, but that being said, it sort of trashed on certain elements that I liked from the first film. And just in the end, the film just felt just ugh. And maybe that's just because, like, you know, Pacific Rim at the time when it first came out, it was, you know, original. And this film felt the need to, you know, is it up the stakes in a lot of ways and expand the world. And some of it, it sort of succeeds at, but some of it just felt, you know, is it arbitrary or, you know, just forced. 
and it also has a very sort of strange ending where it ends but then has a sort of little tag scene which sort of sets up you know for the sequel which easily could have just been part of the original like main film so yeah i mean i'm interested in seeing another one uh, not really unless it's you know part of that sort of potential crossover universe with godzilla and king kong now that would be way more interesting but for the time being the story for pacific rim uprising yeah when it comes to the cast they're all fine but this film really belongs to john boyega as jake pentecost john boyega brings a lot of his natural charisma good screen presence and charm to this role and jake pentecost he's actually a decent kind of character He's a guy who lives in the shadow of his father. He has a lot of, you know, daddy issues and like, you know, is it baggage from the past, which he, you know, carries along with him. He wants to be his own person, lives in the streets. He's a scrapper, basically, you know, was it taking things and exchanging it with other people for, you know, was it profit just to survive and stuff like that. And he has a lot of history with, you know, just being in these sort of, Jaeger program and stuff like that and those feelings and history comes to a head when he meets up with Amara and then later on gets into you know the whole Jaeger program with his former partner Nate Lambert but yeah I thought you know was that the character was all right but it was definitely elevated by Boyega's natural charm and screen presence with Scott Eastwood he was fine as Nate Lambert he's a typical stick up his ass by the rules kind of geezer very uptight he has history with Pentecost and they have this strange sort of relationship which obviously evolves over the course of the film Eastwood's fine but they didn't really give him much to work with Kaylee Spaney at least I think that's how you say her name as Amara she was actually pretty good at first I didn't like her at all she just seemed like this annoying little brat character that would piss me off but over the course of the film her and uh, Jake Pentecost end up having like you know as a disinteresting friendship they start to grow and she definitely starts to show her usefulness over the course of the film. She's a person who's seen like, you know, the terrors of the Kaiju War firsthand and she carries a lot of that like, you know, baggage with her much like Jake does. So they have a natural bond and she's a, you know, smart little cookie. She's a mechanic. She understands like uh, Jaegers and stuff like that. So um, she definitely has a use in the film. And like you know, is it Spaney? She was just a breath of fresh air. Her and Boyega seem to be the most memorable elements of this film. And when it comes to the returning cast members, Charlie Day, I love that guy so much. But in this film, I feel like his character was interesting at first. But then when you find out what's really going on with him, I feel like his character took a massive turn for the worse. I hated it. I was not pleased. Bern Gorman as Dr. Herman, I liked him, he was fun. And Rinko Kikuchi, at least I hope I'm saying her name right, as Mako Mori from the first film, she returns. And it was nice to see her back, but I feel like her character was not handled in the best way. Rinko is one of the most beautiful Asian women I've ever seen in my life. And I'm just like, oh, every time I saw her, oh, my heart, man. My gosh, she is gorgeous. And the only other person I wanted to bring mention to was Jing Tian as Li Wen Shao. And she's part of this new defense force that plans to try and keep the world safe with a different kind of Jaeger from like the original kinds that we've seen in the previous films. And I thought she was pretty good in the film as well. I liked her and my goodness, she was really pretty as well. Everybody else in the film had, you know, minor screen presence and some of the new recruits, 
I understood what they were trying to do in terms of giving these guys sort of different personalities, but they had far too little screen time and a lack of depth in order for me to really care about them. So yeah, besides a handful of them that were, you know, kind of cool in the beginning and certain other points in the film, they were mainly all just kind of meh. Alright, so when it comes to the presentation, the film ended up being a lot better than I expected. You know, in the trailers, like I said before, the CGI just looked really lame. It just looked lacking in detail and polish as opposed to the original film. And in this film, it ended up looking a lot better than I expected it to. A lot of the film takes place in daylight now, so you can see, I guess, a lot more clearly the kaiju battles. And, um, you know, was it the fight sequences were actually well done. The sense of scale was still there, while not as impressive as it was in the first film. I feel like the best way to liken this film is the way in which you have Godzilla and Kong Skull Island, where Godzilla was definitely all about scale, making everything feel like it was really big, and everything, when it hit, it had impact, and it felt like it was just larger than life. Whereas Kong definitely had a sense of scale but it just wasn't as focused on you know making everything feel bigger and having that same level of impact. Pacific Rim Uprising definitely has its moments where you know the scale is really good, the action's chaotic, crazy, there are some really fun moments where characters are getting smashed into things left right and center, the use of some of the robot attacks whether it be the swords or this weird plasma cannon or this magnet thing where it can take a whole load of stuff and then throw it at like the enemy there's some cool stuff in there definitely for sure but it just wasn't as good as the previous film and some of the green screen in this film looked kind of questionable some of the characters definitely looked like they weren't part of like you know the background which they were composited onto and the music I didn't like it. Honestly, there were certain moments where the music just felt so cheesy and it was just like, oh, what is going on with this? It was awful. I mean, okay, it wasn't too bad. There were certain moments where the music was fine, but some of it just felt like it was really trying to, you know, be epic or like futuristic and cool and it just came off as just really goofy and awful. Alright, so that leads us to the, you know, summary. What did I think of Pacific Rim Uprising? Not bad but not great. The film really is saved by Boyega and Spaney's sort of, you know, relationship in the film and the visual effects and fight sequences are pretty solid. That being said, the plot is just, it's okay, but just felt a little forced. Some of the reveals and, you know, mysteries in the film were just absurd. And the way in which it used some of the original cast in this film was not to my liking. So yeah, I think for those not heavily invested in this film franchise, they'll be fine with it. Um, some people who like the original might be disappointed, or you might like it, who knows. But for me, it was just okay, but I'm definitely probably not going to watch this again for a while. Alright, and that will bring this episode of Film Focus to a close. Thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen. If you have any thoughts on Ready Player One or Pacific Rim Uprising, please be sure to give me a holler and let me know what you thought of each film, whether you liked them or hated them. I had a good time with at least Ready Player One. Uh, Pacific Rim Uprising wasn't bad, but just not as good as it could have been. But anyway, any thoughts on either film, holler at me via you know, the comment section below, or email me at thehypersonic55.5 at gmail.com, or holler at me on Twitter where I am, at hypersonic55, or filmfocus55. 
Oh, and before I disappear, please be sure to rate us on iTunes and SoundCloud and give us some of that five-star love on iTunes because that would really help the podcast a lot. So until next time, ladies and gentlemen, this is Film Focus signing out. Peace. Thank mm-hmm. you.